This is an interview with April Jones on September 26th, 2020 by Nick Burkell. Now, April, please give me an introduction on yourself. My name is April Jones, and I'm a filmmaker. I'm a musician, a painter, a skateboarder. Some call me a hellraiser, <laughs> but generally I identify as an artist because I do so much, so... I last spoke to you in summer of 2018 to promote your uh, film, uh, The Rent, the Mentors, Rocky Mandatory. What have you been up to since then? So um, during the beginning of the distribution phase for The Mentors, Rocky Mentory, I was moving down to Southern California, um, you know, for work and stuff, and naturally just looking for another creative endeavor. So every day I would write and write like concepts and ideas because I wanted to do like another documentary or rockumentary. So, um, you know, thinking of all these bands I knew and like where the creativity can go. And then meanwhile, I'm a skateboarder. So I moved to San Pedro for the skate park called Channel Street Skate Park and I thought it was going to be opened by the time I moved down here. Um, it was closed because it was a do-it-yourself skate park and was built without permission and permits, right? So it's all about liability. And so I just, I kind of became obsessed. Like, why isn't this skate park open? Like, it's been five years. It's been shut down for five years are they going to demolish it? Are they going to save it? Like, I had no idea. I started reaching out to the San Pedro Skate Park Association, who are the founders and who built the park. And they were kind of filling me in on all the legal stuff and telling me that the city was actually advocating for the skate park. And I'm like, no way. Like, you never really hear about that. Um, so... Then something just clicked, like, oh, well, if the skateboarders and the city are working together to create some sort of, uh, you know, legal blueprint to legalize this DIY skate park, like, that can be, that can come in useful, like, maybe for other DIYs who need a little guidance to be saved. Like, a lot of do-it-yourself skate parks get demolished because, the city just simply doesn't know what to do. They're like, we don't, it's illegal. There's no permits. There's no liability insurance. Like just demolish it. So what kind of started as this skateboard advocacy, you know, research project turned into a full blown documentary. Now, how have things changed with being an independent journalist with everything going on this year? I've had more time to do some deep digging, honestly, um, just with quarantine and everything. I've been diving in, you know, into the realm of uh, finding out what other DIY skate park builders have done to work with their cities and to see what has helped them save the skate park. So diving into that skateboard advocacy realm of like, what did you do that helped you save that skate park? And what did you do? And I even talked to a um, a lawyer that was a Burnside Skate Park's lawyer. 
So Burnside is a, a deemed as one of the grandfathers of DIYs, and that's in Portland. So I even talked to their lawyer to get some insight on on this whole subject matter. And so, yeah, I've just been doing a lot of reading, a lot of research, a lot of digging. You know, I just I just started putting my energy towards something that I felt needed some help. That's what I've been doing. Now, I know you typically shoot shorts, and then if things go well enough for you, you try to create a full length. What have been your top three shorts that you would be excited to shoot a full length beyond the mentor short that became your first movie? Well, short documentaries were really how I learned to develop, like my visual style and storytelling skills in filmmaking. Um, most of them, I didn't even think about doing a feature length. Um, I was just shooting, you know, um, just to shoot and just to kind of gain the experience. And then when, uh, I did the mentors documentary, that was originally a short film, but I shot for a feature length because I knew like, okay, this could have potential to be a feature length. And so that was a film that kind of got me in that mindset. Like, okay, even if I'm intended to do a short film, I'm going to shoot for a feature. You know, with this next film I did, this was also originally a short film that happened to turn into a feature. You know, there's so many I would like to do, though. I feel like I can't really name three shorts that I've already done that I'd like to turn into a feature because the styles are way different, but I do have a few more concepts that are in development right now that are music related. Um, my last work, all the short films I did, probably about 40 or so. Um, those were more kind of journalistic news style based. And I've interviewed a lot of great amazing bands um but i guess i can i can throw a couple out right now one of my favorite interviews was bobby blitz of overkill like i fucking love overkill you know i love that 80s thrash vibe just that energy is killer um that would be a cool a cool feature (laughs) um but yeah i have a few other um music documentary ideas in the works right now For Blackwater, what has been going on with them since your feature, and do you have any plans for more work with them? So the Blackwater short documentary that I just released a couple months ago was actually filmed a few years ago in Portland, and that was started by another filmmaker, John Baxter, who brought me in to help direct and, you know, with general production, well, come to find out, like, a couple of years later, I'm like, whatever happened to that? So I'm, I'm hitting him up, like, what happened? Did you ever release it? Like, what's going on? He ended up having some technological hardship and, like, could not edit the film at all. It was basically an abandoned film. And so once COVID hit, I am down here in Southern California. Like, I don't know what my friends are going through in Portland firsthand. So I reached out to the original filmmaker. I'm like, send me all that footage, like, right now. Like, just send it to me. Like, I, 
I have to do something to help my friends. I, I mean, Blackwater survived the gentrification of Portland, you know? So I felt like I had to do something to help. Like, I didn't even really know what they were going through, but I just felt like it was kind of like my calling or <laughs> my duty to, like, just put it together. Uh, also, because they're all my friends, and they've always been huge supporters of the local community, and um, so that's how that short film came to be. And I, I think they're doing pretty good considering, I mean, they have great food. So their kitchen is, you know, going right now. So if anyone's in Portland and wants some killer grub, like eat local, hit them up. What did you realize after the end of the promotional cycle of the Mentors documentary that you wanted to do differently for your skate park movie? Um, well, it's funny how you say end of the promotional cycle, because I feel like there's never an end to the promotional cycle. It's always, you know, never ending, um, you know, promotion, I guess, even though I'm kind of bad at promoting myself. I knew that I couldn't make another movie completely by myself. I mean, I did have like some help with the mentors, like one or two shoots. I had a camera guy, you know, but like i pretty much did the whole movie by myself and I came across a lot of issues and post-production, you know, blurry camera, like fucked up sound. Cause I'm doing everything. And then when I'm trying to make sure sound is clear and cameras in focus and then my brain like can't focus on the story, which is really important. And the mentors turned out great. Like that storytelling was epic. Like, I killed it for my first film, you know, but it was really rough, and so I realized I couldn't do it by myself, so I took the time to start studying um, about, like, grant writing, I'm like, okay, like, how can I get funding for a next film? Like, all I need is, to get it going, is to hire professional sound, a real cinematographer, not just someone that could hold a camera. Like, I shot all my last 40 short films, pretty much, you know, with occasional help, but I'm not a cinematographer, so um, I found this local nonprofit organization that helps independent filmmakers, and I worked on a, a treatment for three months every day during my lunch break at work. I would write and write and write and write and read and read and read and read, and, read. and I ended up winning this small grant for the film. And so I was able to hire a professional crew. And so that really, really helped the quality of the production, um, as well as just me being able to really dive into the storytelling and journalism of it all. Because, you know, this film, it dives into like the bureaucratic process. And I don't know anything about the law, <laughs> like, other than, you know, being arrested a couple times, but, uh, so, which is kind of cool, because then it comes from someone, you know, with layman's terms or whatever, so, but also one big misconception about winning grants is you don't actually get to pay yourself, it's not allowed, so, which is fine, like, I make films for free, 
for myself and the community. Like that's not even anything I've ever considered, but, um, you know, sometimes people don't know that. So I feel like it is good to know. Um, also I work a day job 50 hours a week also while producing, directing and editing the film myself. So even though I have a pretty solid production crew, I am doing a lot of work by myself as well. Oh, and then um, I made the short film, and then Vans heard about it and hit me up to help with a feature length. So they are also a huge push for the feature length film, and I couldn't have done it without them either. So I'm very grateful to, you know, for what I have and what I'm able to give. When I think of a skateboarding film, I instantly think of 2005's Lords of Dogtown. Did that have any influence on you, or were there any other films that you felt like in a big way? That was a great movie. Um, so I, I grew up skateboarding, so that was really the main influence for the film was really like the anxiety of losing a skate park that has such a global impact in the skateboarding community and music community as well. Um, but I think the main influence in filmmaking for me was Penelope Spheris and her decline movies. Um, that That's probably my top filmmaking influence. God, I would love to meet her one day. That's like kind of like my bucket list of like people I want to meet, you know? Yo, important question. You got to rank all three. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wait, what? In terms of your favorites. Oh, I don't know. I can't pick my favorites. I well, like them all. Okay. I mean, I always just go for the second one, but um, yeah, that, that's just I mean, me. That's, they all, well, they all have their, their own, their own life to, to each one, you know? So it's hard. I would probably lean towards the second one as well. But I mean, you know, it's like you can't have a second one without the first one. So it's hard to, to choose, you know. And you can't have the third one without the second. Exactly. <laughs> the middle child. <laughs> Can you tell me how you became aware of Channel Street Skate Park and how many times have you visited it? Uh, I became aware of Channel Street Skate Park because of Burnside Skate Park, really, um, which I mentioned before is the grandfather of do-it-yourself skate parks. Uh, I moved to Portland in the early 2000s, so I've been skating Burnside for almost 20 years. And when I moved down to Southern California, I, you know, it's, it's for work, but the area I wanted to move was San Pedro because of the skate park. Um, so I feel like when you're in that kind of underground DIY skateboarding world, you, you know about all the other DIYs. You tend to migrate towards other DIYs, uh, mainly because they are underground and not known to the mainstream. Like we're not like the soda tour type of folks, you know, we're, we're kind of the outcasts and you know just like music so I have been to Channel Street like a handful of times I would drive from Portland to 
San Pedro, California, just to skate, uh, probably about an 18-hour drive, which isn't so bad. I met some people here from Sweden. When I drove from Portland, they were here from Sweden just for the skate park. Like, wow, you know, that really shows you something. Please explain the legal complications surrounding it and what actually needs to be done in order to save Channel Street Skate Park. Okay, so um, the San Pedro Skate Park Association, um, who are the founders of the park, have been working with the city, and and they are working, um, basically they're working backwards in order to get a building up to code. Um, So they're kind of deeming the skate park as, as some sort of building. So... Um, to obtain, you know, the proper legal permits, and they have to pass through the, these different agencies. So they have to go through Department of Planning, and planning means they have to drill into the concrete to make sure that the, you know, the, I don't know, the width and the foundation and everything is like up to code, and um, they, you know, they have to make sure handrails are there and all that stuff. And then they have to go through like cultural services and public affairs and department of sanitation. So there's all these different departments across LA and technically San Pedro is a neighborhood in the city of Los Angeles, just like Venice, California, Venice beach is Los Angeles technically. So it's not this like little small town that everyone like thinks about it's technically LA. So you're dealing with Los Angeles bureaucracy. So there has been a lot of miscommunication between the city departments that are documented. Like you said one thing and now it's not happening. Why? And the city has been pretty cool about all the interviews. You know, I'm trying to channel my inner Michael Moore, (laughs) but I'm too nice. You know, and of course they have the perfect answer for every, like, what the fuck is going on, guys? (laughs) Give us our park back. (laughs) When viewing the film, what portion of it evokes the most emotion in you? I think the, the bureaucratic web that the Channel Street Skate Park is in right now is horrific. It's so sad. The city keep saying one thing and then all of a sudden it's not true anymore and these are like public announcements too it's not just telling the skateboarders like oh you'll have your skate park back in a year it's like a public announcement about having the skate park back in a year or a public announcement about you can get in there and start building and you've been approved and several months later they're still locked out of the place and it's just horrible it's the miscommunication is horrific and it's just sad down there. Like what once was a thriving artistic spot under a bridge has now been overtaken by tweakers and drug addicts. And you know, those kids need their park back. And it's it's funny. I say kids, but they're not even kids anymore. (laughs) You know, they're all like grown ups now, but we need the community needs, what they think is best for the community. You know, the community, we need to give more 
to the community and let the community decide what's best for them, not the cities. And this is a community-built skate park. So, you know, I think that's that's the thing that evokes the most emotion because it's just sad and it's a good thing. And even the city councilman used to bring his nephews down there. So they're all advocating for it. It's just stuck in this bureaucratic battle and it's fucked almost six years now. The skate park was open 14 something years ago with the pub and with the public fight against COVID. How do you argue that this park should be kept open now? COVID has definitely postponed things, um, but things are still moving forward with the skate park legalities, you know, despite the state of the world, but city built skate park are up. City-built skate parks are opening up everywhere right now. So that has to be a good sign for Channel Street. And actually, since COVID, the skateboard industry has boomed. Everyone and their kids and their mother are skateboarding. It's insane how much that, you know, the COVID has turned people into... See, I wouldn't call them skateboarders, but wanderer, whatever, want to be skateboarders. Um, and also the mention of the Olympics with skateboarding in there now, you know, it's just, it's booming. So that has to be a good thing for DIYs at least. Now, can you tell me about the songs on your Shoebox Jones demo? And will you be using any of those in the film? Yeah, so I have, you know, I've been writing music and for a while now and uh, was writing songs when I moved to Southern California and I had about four or five songs and I, I have a drummer, John Christopher, he's the um, old mentors fill-in drummer, so <laughs> um, we were going to record and then COVID hit and I just decided to put out put it out as a solo album. Um, because I wrote the songs, and one of the songs were specifically written for the film, which is called The Bulldozer's Blade. Um, this is interesting. I wanted to get creative with it. I wrote the lyrics in the eyes of a bulldozer who is seeking out to destroy DIY skate parks. Um, so that will support my upcoming film. There are a lot of really, really great bands um, that will support the film. Um, also, me having a music background, it's really important that the film does have a killer soundtrack. So all the bands are skate rock bands. Most, um, well, most of the bands are skate rock bands. A lot of them are from DIY skate parks. Um, Marginal Way, Burnside, Channel Street, um, you know, Washington Street. Like, so you know, there is a huge, um, a huge musical component to the film as well. What's the absolute most amazing thing you have when it comes to something skateboarding related? The most absolute amazing thing that I have would probably be just the experience of being surrounded by the most incredible artistic, creative, loyal culture and family ever like all my skateboard friends are like family and 
this, you know, we're just, we support each other and it's, everyone's loyal. And I mean, not everyone, but you know, like, I think that's probably the most, the most amazing thing that I've gotten out of skateboarding. Do you have any interesting urban legends or ghost stories you'd like to share? Ooh. <laughs> well, um, I love, I love reading about this type of stuff. I love fantasy, fantasy and then nonfiction. Um, but sometimes those two combined, right? So I don't know if you've ever heard um, the story about the Hollywood sign. So the Hollywood sign used to be called Hollywood Land. And back in the day, this, um, this actress ended up going up to the Hollywood sign and jumping off, you know, committing suicide, unfortunately, very sad story. But um, that was kind of the start of this urban legend about this, um, about this sign being haunted. And so her name was Peg and Twistle. And so that kind of has, um, like, it is known for being haunted. And I think she jumped off the Hollywood sign in the 30s, 1932, at the age of 24. So a sad story, but, um, you know, I've I've read about it. Kind of interesting to to read about the history of back then. Would you like to go back to any questions? Um, <clears throat> no, not that I can think of. Is there anything that I um, missed, or you would like to know? Um. I guess maybe final words then. Okay. Um, well, I guess I want to thank the local community here in San Pedro. Everyone's been super, really supportive and welcoming. And really, I, I couldn't continue to do what I do without the support of my friends. And, and so, you know, I want to thank everyone for the friendship. Um, that's really important to have, you know, confidence and <laughs> doing art and whatever. And thank you, Nick, too. Like you've always been super supportive in the underground community. Like you do so much. I'll have to interview you one day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hook, hook me up with some questions. Okay. Yeah, I will. I'll throw some crazy wild ones out there too for you. <laughs> Beyond ghost stories. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> This has been an interview on September 26th, 2020 with April Jones by Nick Perkel.